People always want to know what it's like to be me. How does it feel to see a dead body? Tell a family their loved one has been murdered. Talk to a rape victim. Catch a killer. And get them to confess. Hold on tight, my friends. Get ready for the journey. And welcome to Murder with Menina. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Murder with Menina. Um, Colleen is in Mexico now. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm home. I'm only a half an hour away from my home in San Diego. That's crazy. So she's back in the States, and we're getting ready to podcast. And she's like, well, I'm in Mexico. I'm like, what? It's snowing here in Indiana. (laughs) Whatever. It's just depressing. Oh, my goodness. We'll get going. It's a little cold here, actually. What does that mean? Actually, 72. Shut up. 72. It's like... (laughs) It's 72 with a breeze, with a cool breeze. Yeah, it's I'm cold. looking at outside my window and it's flurrying and it feels like it's seven. Oh, but I love, I love snow. Well, I'll switch places with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jeez. We'll swap houses. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. We're going to get started on a uh, case that I had my very first year in homicide. And let me just, I know I've said this before, but I have to repeat it that my first year in homicide I investigated something like eight or nine murders in one year, which is really a lot. It's really a lot, mm-hmm. which is good. I guess it just threw me right into the deep end of the ocean and just said, figure it out, deal with it. So anyways, but this one was on a hot July um, weekend and I was getting ready for my days off, which is always bad, but it was my birthday weekend. So I was planning some stuff with my family. Um, I was going to, I think we were going to do my birthday party or whatever. Yes. I still have them with my mom and dad cake. Anyways, um, on a Sunday that. evening. So this was a Saturday night, which was my last night off. And I was working the 930 at night until six o'clock in the morning shift, which is a horrible, horrible shift. Because if you catch a murder, let's think about this. You you go into work at 930. Uh, you work until six in the morning. And then if you catch a murder at three or four in the morning or even at all, you're working all the way until your shift starts again later on at 930 at night. So it was just a horrible mm. shift to work. A busy shift, obviously, but you just never sleep. So anyways, but um, I was up for the next murder, but I was trying not to be trying not to catch one because it was my birthday um, weekend. But anyway, it was about five in the morning and I had about 90 minutes before I'd be off for my three days off. Um, The plan was to go home and sleep and then head to my parents' house that evening to celebrate my birthday. Um, which was actually later in the week, but we were doing it on the weekend. I was confident that I would make it because usually um, if you can get to about five o'clock in the morning, you're safe. And if you can't, then usually the day shift person that comes in at six will take it. Um, so I felt fairly confident as, as it was inching toward about five in the morning. And But a street officer was doing what we like to describe as our slow roll home, which is making sure that you right. get off <laughs> early or that you're not you're not late getting off early that's how we like to say it um we never wanted to be late getting off early so the street officer was heading down a road that paralleled some woods and it was a, it was not a high traffic road and definitely not busy around uh and we're at 5 15 at this point in the morning um the officer sees a body on this quiet road um and i just wish and i just sort of say and i'm sure he 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 wishes as well and he just kind of driven by <laughs> but we can't do that. <laughs> he gets out and sees a he sees a white male with what appears to have he appears to have several stab wounds on on him. He's just kind of laying in the middle of the street on the ground. He's dead on arrival, DOA. And it appears just uh, very quickly um, that um, 
He'd been there for several hours or at least a couple hours. And again, it's really, really warm, even though it's five o'clock in the morning. It's really, really hot and humid in July. Um, and of course, the radio, be- the radio beeps and dispatch is asking for a homicide detective. Now, mind you, I've already started my slow roll home. So I'm actually heading north. And this, this case is south. And I'm like, shit, it's just how it always happens. So asking for a homicide. <laughs> On your birthday. Yeah. Asking for a homicide detective. Um, but there was not, a, there was not a run that came out. Usually I'll hear on the radio, oh, officers en route to a person shot or a person stabbed and kind of get a heads up. It was nothing, nothing, nothing because the officer just rolled up on him. So there wasn't a dispatch run. He got on the air and told dispatch, Hey, I've got a body, but I wouldn't have heard that on my investigation channel. So, so, so he basically just stumbled across actually, this body. That's why I said, I wish he wow, had just random. driven by it. Like, why did you take that right home? <laughs> just save me a half an hour. But anyway, so the radio is completely quiet. And then all of a sudden control gets on there and says, um, homicide detective up for the next run. I'm like, shit. Um, so it comes out as a body in the road and DOA. Um, so there goes my weekend. Um, I really, and, and what's kind of, I always remember this too, is I always try to catch myself from being too disappointed that my days off have been canceled. Um, because I'm, you know, dealing with someone who'd been murdered. So you kind of feel like a dumbass for being disappointed. Right. Called perspective. Yeah, actually perspective. So as I'm driving to the scene, disappointed that my day's off, I quickly remember that I'm about to tell a family at some point, um, on a Sunday that, um, their loved one had been killed. So, but it does take me a while to arrive and it's hotter than hell out and the sun is now starting to come up. Um, so when I get there, I arrive and see a young male in the road. He does not have any ID on him. Um, and that my, and my first impression and also the first impression of the first responding officer is that he was killed somewhere else and dumped from a car. He literally was stiff. And again, it's really, really warm. And he's just literally laying out in the middle, kind of on the, in the middle of the road, the road was kind of small. Like I said, it outlined some woods in the, in, it was just, you know, two lane, one going East and one, the other one going West. So they weren't really thick, but he's just literally kind of on the side of the road. So it appeared that he had been dumped um, and killed somewhere else, which makes things just horrible, just, just really, really difficult. Um, so there's not much of a crime scene. Um, but when I did walk up on him and like the officer told me, he'd been stabbed several times. He'd been stabbed a whole bunch of times. But I also kind of noticed, too, that a lot of the stop, stab marks were kind of like not deadly, just kind of like pokes. They almost look like little pokes. Um, so Crime Lab comes, snaps the pictures and does a quick video. And that's it. I mean, there's not there's nothing to the scene but him. And like I said, he doesn't have any identification on him. So I don't know who he is. So I begin to walk into the woods looking for any clues and a crime scene that I knew wasn't there. But I knew I needed to at least go into the woods and see if maybe, you know, they were jacking around back there and looking for a knife or looking for anything. Um, but at this point, I'm literally sweating my ass off. And I don't know about anyone who's worked late shift, but like that whole from about four o'clock in the morning until six, you're just kind of feeling a little sick. And then you throw in the whole it's 100 degrees outside and it's humid and you're tired. That's how I was feeling. And you're in a lot of clothes. Yeah, I'm in uniform. Yeah, I'm in, you know, I'm in my dress pants and it's just hotter than shit out. Um, But anyway, so I'm standing there sweating my ass off. I have no crime scene. I have no identity of my victim. And it is hot, humid and hot. There's no witnesses. Um, Finally, the coroner arrives and agrees as he looks at me in the corner that we had on 
before he looks at me, he's like, wow, this is a piece of shit. And I knew it was. Was he talking about the, 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 the person no. was a piece of shit? No, or the crime no. Scene? Good clarification, <laughs> I know. I know. but no, the case. And you, <laughs> Just clarify. Yeah, I mean, that's what we say all the time. We walk up to scenes and we're like, uh, this is a piece of shit, but no. Um, uh, we both agreed that the case appeared at that point to be a piece of shit. We also kind of agreed based on the body temperature, and he was in rigor mortis, which is all of his arms and things are stiff. So um, the coroner gets out there, and he's able to uh, kind of go through his pockets. Um, so he brings the body bag out, and he goes through um, his pockets, and he what he finds is a, a marsh card, which is a little card used for grocery stores. I don't know if you have them out in San Diego and oh, California, okay. but it's like a Publix or whatever. It's a big grocery chain here in the Midwest. So it's a little grocery um, card that's got that number on it. And I'm like, oh, great, fantastic. I just have to figure out, um, you know, go go to the store and find out who the number is. So I leave the scene and um, it's done pretty quickly. So I leave and I decide to take that Marsh card and head to the closest Marsh grocery store um, to try to find a name. I arrive at the, mar- at the marsh and the manager will not let me know who the car belongs to without a warrant. And he did not care that I had a murder on my hands. He didn't care. So he's making my life even harder because all he had to do was get in the computer, look up the number and wouldn't been able to tell me who filled out right. the application. He would exactly. not do it. So I leave. Um, what was his reasoning he, for not doing know, he it? He said it was That's a violation so that I needed a warrant to get into personal information. And I'm like, I have a dead body. <gasps> Pedantic. Wow. So I'm not very, um, yeah, I'm not very excited at this point. Now, mind you, I'm tired and I'm in a bad mood, but I'm not in a bad mood as much the bad mood as my victim, obviously. So on to the next door I go. And the manager was excited. He was this little guy. He's exactly like how you would imagine a manager, a little short guy, um, <laughs> He was balding and he was super fucking excited to help me. <laughs> so like, cute. So he was excited to help me crack the case. Um, so within two minutes, he gave me the name and address. Uh, I'm assuming that the name I had was him, um, was my victim. But his address, which the nice manager gave me, was not local. But it was a town about 35 minutes south, Bloomington, which is the home of Indiana University. Um, I went back to the office just with that information. Now, mind you, this is all I have. Now I have a name. I don't have anything else. I know he's been stabbed. He's been dumped. And that's it. So I go back to the office and I run his name through the system. Um, and luckily he had an Indianapolis connection and was arrested with some Indianapolis men a couple of years ago and a few months before that um, on drug charges. Mm. So now I'm linking him. And that's what's so great about our computer system and why we we run names through there because it gives us people that he hangs out with it gives us addresses it gives sure. us the people Leads. you know think about it if you're out with people uh, absolutely um so there's my indianapolis connection the friends that he was arrested were all had indianapolis addresses but him he had the bloomington one um and drug charges so this could be a motive right so i'm now thinking trying to think okay now do i have motive is this a drug killing because and then i remember too that like i'm assuming based on looking at the body that he was stabbed to death but then I also saw a bunch of, like I said, kind of superficial stabs. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of weird. So I'm like, okay, is my motive drugs? Like what? It's just weird. Um, so anyway, but I would just want to keep that open, but I don't want to get too much tunnel vision because um, that can be dangerous. So off to the autopsy I go and I'm feeling good. I'm smelling good. <laughs> I'm feeling fantastic. <laughs> now it's like noon. I'm probably six or seven hours into this. There's nothing um, worse than being up all night, sweating your ass off, 
going to a shitty crime scene and then walking into a morgue. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's the worst. I mean, I can't even describe the smell of it. It's just, it's something that you can't even describe. Um, But what I learned from the autopsy had been stabbed over a hundred times. And a lot of them were superficial with about four of them causing his death. All of these superficial stabs, but four of them are the ones that the fourth, the four stab wounds are what killed him. Um, so I decide, okay, I'm going to go to Bloomington. I'm feeling fantastic again. Um, and like I said, it's about 35 minutes south of Indy. Um, so I'm just driving and smelling fresh and going to go to the address that I found on the, <laughs> I, you hate to, you hate to bitch, right? Because you're like, oh my God, we're going to murder. And I'm just mad. Like, I'm just like, you can totally kind of feel like I felt that day. This is my life. Uh, well, and then, but I'm like, so don't be an asshole, right? Like his life is over. Like keep things in perspective, like you said. So I arrive at the address on the, uh, on the, on the marsh card and it's up on this hill. Um, so we're now into kind of, um, it's Bloomington, but it's outside of Bloomington and these rural, kind of rural areas where the houses are kind of far away from each other. So it's a farmhouse. So I'm walking up the hill and I knock on the door and an older man with a limp and a cane comes to the door and I introduce myself, which is never good. And he invites me in. We sit down and I ask him what his name is. And it's the same name I found on the police reports uh, in the grocery store card. I ask him if he has a son and he tells me yes. Oh, shoot. So his son okay. and his, and yeah, his son. And his, now, right now, don't be an asshole and be, a, and be mad about your days off. Um, so he, sa- he says he has a son. Um, and I said, well, uh, I believe that I found your son this morning. He had been killed in Indianapolis. Um, and to see a grown man sob in his own house, mm. in, in his own chair, sitting in a chair that, you know, he just sat in every day for, I mean, he's kind of overweight. He had a limp, he had not very good health. Um, but it is something that you don't forget. And so all of the bitching and complaining that I was thinking about and even doing, you know, on this podcast goes away really, <laughs> oh, really quickly. And it did. Boy. Yeah. Um, but oh. after several minutes, he, he was able to k- gain his composure, but not once during the entire conversation which lasted over an hour, did he ask me how his son died? Not one time <gasps> wow. in the entire investigation did he ask me how he died. And I never told him. Wow. I just said he was found killed in Indianapolis because I figure it's kind of one of those things if they wanted to know, they would. He would I mean, ask, right. Dad is dead. Dad is dead. Um, but this is kind of the background that he gets me, and this kind of helps develop my motive and why I'm at where I'm at. So Dad tells me that his son was testifying in federal court in Detroit on Monday. Now, I found him on a Sunday morning. Um, He, along with a few other of his friends um, and the people that were in the police report um, and some people also that lived in Bloomington, um, had all been arrested. Um, And they were charged federally. They were drug trafficking drugs uh, between Detroit and Indianapolis. Um, He, my victim, was testifying on Monday and flipping on some of his buddies. Um, Oh, wow. Yep. people involved according to dad he was he was the only one flipping on the detroit on the detroit connection so you had your detroit connection which is where they went up and got the drugs and the and he was flipping on the detroit connection not his friends that he was friends with in indianapolis and not his friends that he was friends with in bloomington okay he was only flipping on the detroit people um but he was in it pretty deep my victim was in it deep and a bunch of his friends 
who lived in his town were involved, but he was not giving them up. Okay. There was a lot of people, but he had been the only one that um, the few that had been arrested never flipped and they did some time. Hmm, okay. Um, and they were already out. Okay. And some, some, one of the other guys was still in, but the majority of them had, he had just not told on and the Detroit, the Detroit connection hadn't told on them either. Okay. So, um, the night before, or the, the, the night before he was murdered, a bunch of his friends, his childhood friends that were involved in this, but had not been arrested because what he had been doing, it had been going up to Detroit, getting them, bringing them back, distributing them to his, um, childhood friends and they were all selling him. So it was this big connection. And what kind, so of, dr- what kind of drugs? Uh, it was pills. It was all kinds oh, of pills. Okay. I mean, any type of pill you can think of. Um, but his childhood friends who had been, you know, obviously friends their whole life and then been, been involved, um, were going up to Indianapolis to a strip club and um, wanted to take him out for like his last hooray before he had to go to court. So that was the plan. That's what dad said. He said all of his buddies came and picked him up at the house on the hill and said, we're taking you out for a big night in Indianapolis, and we're going to take you to the strip club. Um, and we're going to, you know, live it up before you go testify. So they take him up there, and there was about five or six of them. They take him up there, they buy him drinks, and show him a good time, you know, obviously before testifying and starting his jail time. He was also, he knew he was going to jail. He just wasn't going to go as long um, for testifying. Um so they, you know, his dad just described his friends. His dad gave me his friends' names, all the guys that took him up there. Um, and so I'm getting a lot of information. I'm getting a lot of names. So they pick him up. They take him to the strip club strip club called the Classy Chassis, which <laughs> ironically was down by that nice hotel you wanted to stay that one night in Indianapolis. <laughs> um, I was like, the no, one with the cigarette burns and no TV. Yeah. The broken right. TV. Um, but what's interesting is it's only about a mile from where my victim was found. Oh, wow. So okay. the strip club's only about a mile from, actually less than a mile, where my victim was found. So dad gave me all the names of who went to the club. I left dad, and I knew I would, I, you know, I told him I'd keep him updated. And he kind of walks me to the door. He's got tears welling up in his eyes. And um, he's just alone now he's alone because his son lived with him so he's living in this huge house on the hill by himself now it's just so quickly how life just bam right right like okay so now i contact local law enforcement and speak um on the phone with a detective who's familiar with the whole group um he's now my partner so i call bloomington pd i get with a detective where he's very familiar with all of the names that dad gave me he's very familiar with my victim's name and now he is my partner to try and solve this because he's going to have to take me around to all of their addresses. So by this time, it's like, I don't know, four or five in the afternoon, and I am more than oh, tired. Oh, boy, I bet. Um, so I tell him I need to go home and sleep for a couple hours, shower, eat, and then hit the strip club, because I actually want to hit the strip club before I start hitting the the um, addresses. So I go home, and I do all that. And, and, the, and the thing about it is, I don't know, I'm sure you know you felt like you're so tired that you can't sleep. Sure. And that's kind of how I was. So I went home, I showered, I got some food, and then I was just laying in bed trying to sleep, but I couldn't. So I just ended up getting up. So the classy chassis, just for uh, reference purposes, is not classy at all. <laughs> um, and it's right off it's right off the interstate on a major on a it's it's right off the interstate, a major interstate that loops Indianapolis. Um and it's straight it's a straight shot to Bloomington. So all I literally needed to go up was US 31 and then bam, the chassis classes right there. 
So I go in on about a, on a midnight, on a Sunday night, and I'm thinking it's not going to be that busy. Um, and so it's crazy because I go in there and of course it's dark. It's not that crazy on a Sunday night. And I wait a while and I'm just trying to interview, but then they turn the lights on. And that is a completely different ballgame too. When you go into a strip club at, in the dark and then you go in the strip club when they turn the lights on and it's like, whoa, Ooh, it's just, it's exactly what you think it would be. <laughs> Enough said. So while I'm waiting and in between their lap dances and between um, closing time, I interview about four half naked, highly intelligent strippers, which they were so smart, um, who all said that my victim and his friends were in the night before. They all were very familiar with them. They said they spent a lot of money. Um, they said the one guy who ended up being my victim was the one that was the star of the show. They were buying them lap dances. They were buying them drinks. They were all really, really um, familiar with them. He said they got they got several lap dances and um, and all of the strippers is so crazy because like they were all very much. It's hard to like. So they would do their dance and then they would come and interview with me, you know, and they're half naked and they've got ones hanging out of them. But super, super intelligent and very, very cooperative, very cooperative. Um, and they so they told me all. I mean, they really much pretty much gave me the same exact um, story that they were all in there um, and they all agreed that they left at about 3 a.m which sounds about right, right? So I met him at five, or the, the officer found him about 5.15. It measures up with the rigor mortis that had set in. And um, so how, I can't remember, how long does rigor mortis, how long does it take well, for rigor mortis to set in? It doesn't take very long because of the heat. It was so oh, hot. The weather is humid. a factor, right? The weather is absolutely a factor. So he was not in full rigor, but like his arm was sticking up and I remember trying to flip it down and it flipped right back up. Uh. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was rigor enough. Um, so I head back to blue. So I head to Bloomington. Now I call the detective and I tell him I'm, I'm going to be down there and um, I meet up with him. And he, like I said before, he knew, he knows my people. He's already run criminal histories on them. We've got local addresses. Um, so he's going to drive me around. So for the next six weeks, I am back and forth doing interviews with the biggest pieces of shit people I have ever come across in a while. So these group of kids and they were all like 19, 20, 21. That's it. I go that age. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I go and interview one, um, one of them and they were living with their girlfriend and they were a part of that. They were in the car and they all agreed that they went to the strip club. Um, none of them were very, they act, they tried to act shocked that he was dead. Hmm. Um, but none of them were, and they were, and they had, literally practiced their story. They were, they were, everybody that I interviewed, um, said the same exact thing that oh, they, they wow. took him out, <laughs> that they, they drunk them up, but that he wanted to stay, that they were all ready to go back to Bloomington, but he met a girl and he wanted to stay. Um, and so they left him there and I'm like, you left them there intoxicated. Yes. I mean, and I, I'd gone back because mind you, I don't have a lot of evidence. I don't have an eyewitness to this. Sure. I don't have anyone cooperating in all of these kids and they were they were some of them were Indiana University students really? you know um some of them got attorneys um and but but the majority of them were just pieces of shit and they didn't care that he was dead you know it was very uh, you know very evident so I'm going back and forth for probably six weeks how many um, how many how big was this group how many there were about six people you said so okay and they all yeah and they all kept the same stories um but like I said, they were all involved in the drug game. Um, they were all there the night that it was murdered. 
And at this point, I have absolutely nothing um, solid except just a group of young people with the same story. Several weeks later, like I'm going back and forth, the detective that lives in Bloomington, he's kind of working with me. I'm driving back and forth, but I'm catching other cases um, because I just don't have anything solid. But finally, I get a break. Um, a local guy, a guy from Indianapolis gets arrested and wants to talk. Um, so I'm like, oh, God, yeah, I'll listen. Um, but this is what he tells me. He says he was not there the night of the murder, but it was his garage um, where they had taken the victim and stabbed him. Okay. So this guy comes forward. He's been arrested wow, okay. on something completely different um, and wanted to wheel and deal. And so he's sitting in jail. He's like, how do I get myself out of it? He figures out I'm the detective. I literally go to the jail and he tells me that he wasn't there at the strip club, um, but they did bring him back and they started stabbing him um, in his garage. And he was the one that kind of, um, he said he overheard, he said he wasn't there in the garage while they were stabbing him, but he overheard um, one of the main guys that was doing probably the stabbing that killed them was telling everybody in the group that they had to stab him because they all had to be equally accountable if they were to get caught. So everyone had to participate in this. Um, Anyways, He said that the friends, that the motive behind all this was that they did not believe that my victim was not going to flip on them. He had not flipped on them the whole entire time. But for whatever reason, the lead guy um, in this group just didn't believe for one second that he wasn't going to flip on them. So the whole thing was planned. Take him out, get him drunk and kill him. That was the entire plan that night. Out of the group, there was the the main suspect who stabbed him and killed him. He made everyone in the group stab or prick him so everyone played a part like I just and that's explains the hundred over hundred stab wounds right, that he had. Right. Um, um so I head back down, I call up my detective guy and I go, Hey, I've got the main guy that I think's in charge of this. He knew exactly who he was, go down and um I'm now want to interview him for the second time, right? I've already interviewed him once, but this time he comes in and we go down there and he says, I'll come in and talk to you tomorrow after I drive down there but I'm bringing my attorney and I'm like, okay. Cause at this point I don't have anything. I have a guy that says they did it in his garage, but he's also not admitting that he's seen it. He just knows that they did it. He didn't see, he will not come up if he saw it. So I go to the prosecutor and I'm kind of laying out everything. Um, but I just don't have any witnesses. I have obviously motive. I have cause of death. I have all of that stuff. I have stories that are really kind of lining up, but I don't have any eyewitnesses. So the prosecutor is like, just continue to work on it try to get more intelligence, see if you can get more of a break. So I, this, this case takes me a long, long time. So I continue and work on it and learn intelligence. And the main guy was the killer and most of the group was petrified of him. So when they went to Detroit, when my victim would go to Detroit, he'd bring a large amount of pills back with him. He gave it to the main guy in Bloomington. The main guy gave it to his little people, um, but they were afraid of him. Um, when I talked about him in the interview, when I did bring up his name, cause I went back and re-interviewed these people probably four and five times. Hmm. I mean, this took me forever. Um, I got the same impression that they were all scared of him, but no, none of them were flipping. Not one of them would flip. Um, so that was just kind of, you know, it, it was weird because, but they were all just, I just remember thinking they were all just kind of arrogant, spoiled pieces of shit. Um, so then what I like to say is the murder God stepped in. And I learned that my main suspect um, had been killed. So I am working on this. Now, we're just, huh. we're just a few 
we're probably three months into this now. I mean, I have just gone back and forth. So, and it, and I'm just kind of stuck. And the by the way, really not let me. You were you were interviewing those six guys over and over again to try to over and for over. inconsistencies that might arise, or what was just, the reason? Go, yes, yes. I mean, the whole thing because I've talked to one person, and then they would tell me a little something specific about one of the people, and then I'd go back and try to okay. bring that up. You know, and and only one guy out of them all lawyered up and I was on their asses. I mean, I was down there a lot as much as I possibly could. And the detective that was working down there was keeping eyes on him and all of that stuff. So it just was going, it's like, I knew who did it, but I just couldn't prove it. You know, I mean, we, it's just like, and the prosecutor's like, I'm not going to give you an arrest warrant. Like there's not enough, you know, so you just kind of have to almost put it on hold, work it a little bit, but put it on hold. And then, and then we like what we like to call the murder God stepped in. And, and I had learned that the main person had been killed by our Detroit connections killed by the, Mm. so what was happening was since my victim was going to court, there were still other people that were in Detroit. So my, my main suspect was taking place, taking the place of the victim of my victim and going up there because not everybody had been arrested and they didn't believe that he wasn't going to flip. So the next time he went up to Detroit to get the pills, they killed him. Mm, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, so as far as the others, I never could have, I could never arrest them. They would never let me arrest them because I, I really didn't have any, any witnesses. You know, they all, I, I'll tell you for, for, you know, they were pretty educated. They were going to college. They were in this game for a long time. I think this had been going on for a long, long time, um, but they never cracked. I could never oh, get them to crack. Wow. It was the craziest thing. And so really they got away with murder. Like they absolutely got away. And, and finding out that the main guy, you know, the main was guy was the one they were afraid of, right? He's the one that got killed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's the one and that he, got killed. And so. you knew who killed him? The Detroit guys. The Detroit connections knew. killed was, him. But that yeah. was, that was, um, concretely solved. Oh yeah. Someone got convicted. Yeah, it, was okay. kind of, it was, he'd gone. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone. So, and no other names, you know, no, no other names because the people in Detroit, like the suspects in Detroit that killed my main guy, they didn't even know these piddly people down in Bloomington. Right. They I were mean, the, yeah, they, right. they were fourth removed. They were the littlest. So they didn't right. even know they existed. Right, right. So these little fuckers literally got away with murder and stabbing them. And like I said, the autopsy revealed four stab wounds, um, which I do believe that the main guy was probably the one that did the four major stab because these kids, like they were, they'd been arrested before for like just marijuana and stupid stuff, but they weren't like killers. And every time I interviewed them, they were scared to death, but I could never get them to crack. I mean, they, they practiced that story and I was threatened. I'm going to come back and get you. If this takes my whole entire life, like (laughs) I just knew that they were, I knew that they were involved and they literally got away with it. Um, but I also believe karma's a bitch and, you know, but this has been, this would have been 2000, 2001. Mm. So who knows what their lives are about right, now? Right. I mean, right. Like they, they literally got away with murder. Wow. That was one of those things when the main guy gets, gets killed or dies. Everyone's like, Ooh, oh, I got away with it. Cause he won't be able to flip. Okay. So I have a question. So when you said that the strippers, first you interviewed the strippers, then you interviewed all six guys and the six guys had the same story, which was, he was really drunk, but he met a girl and we all wanted to leave. So we left and we left him there. Did you go back to the strip club to ask the strippers if that's true? Yeah. I mean, 
that was never what's interesting is is that um they you know once they were done you know servicing him all night they all left as a group they all and he said left that, with that them and all the strippers said the no group. they didn't leave yeah. him here no he didn't oh yeah i mean yeah. this this investigation went on forever that i became friends it's so funny because when i first were interviewing them that you know they're half naked and then they're in their element of work you know and i would leave my business card and then as i would get new information or get information that's saying hey they're saying that he was there with an, with another girl. Did you ever see when I'd go back and, and re-interview them or ask them to come to the office, you know, they would come in their normal clothes and, you know, it didn't look like anything like bubbles, right? <laughs> you right. know, you their see, names, right. you know, they'd come and it's super intelligent. And I would always ask, like, I was always intrigued by it, you know, and they're like, they're, they were all in school mm. and they're in, in the, in the, in the profession that most of them were studying was nursing. Interesting. Like, yeah. yeah. And that they just, super smart they get they would go to indiana university a lot of them they're like this pays this pays the bills and i'm like what do you make a line and they go oh, we make because it's literally off a major interstate so you've got a lot of truck drivers there's like the strip club there's like the waffle house there's like a gas station and it's busy all the time and what, I mean, did, what did they make busy. a night do you remember did it very they made show. hundreds and hundreds hundreds and hundreds wow. yeah and then they got somebody like my victim where there would be a group of people and they were doing, I mean, he got a hundred lap dances that night. Easy, you know, wow, yeah. but yeah, it was up. just so interesting. Cause it was like this different world. They'd come in and, and they were never afraid to give me information. They weren't like, Oh, I don't want to get involved there. They love to talk and the information <laughs> that they have. I mean, they're fucking unbelievable. Like I was like, can I have your number? Like you guys are great pieces of information, you know? I mean, they were, and they didn't care. They did not care about helping, you know, they'd come down and it was just so weird to see him you know, at, at the club and then see them again, you know, when they come to the office, but I love them. So whenever, you know, there was a strip club murder or you hear, you know, they were at the club or a murder. I'm like, they're the best people. They will talk, 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 talk. <laughs> they're not afraid to get involved, not afraid I to get involved. It. So I learned a lot about, because, you know, once you interview them, you're like, how long have you been doing this? And how did you get in it? And like, you know, cause they just didn't look they did when they were at the club. They absolutely looked like strippers. But when they came and talked to me outside, it was just like, wow, you're, you're so smart. She's like, oh, I'm super smart. I, I have all A's. I'm almost done paying for nursing school. I'm like, okay. Wow. <laughs> what am I doing wrong did they, here? Did they realize how dangerous it was to be in that profession oh, and yeah. that they were putting themselves? I mean, how did they, yeah, pro- but how think- did they protect themselves from the risks involved in that? They, I don't know. I think that like the the thing I noticed about them is none of them seemed scared. They all had an edge. Like if you were to meet them in a back alley, they'd beat the shit out of you. <laughs> you it. know, I mean, <laughs> it, it just, they just never were, you know, and, and it, you had to have, it, I guess out of the strip clubs that I've been in, that was the nicer of them. So I guess you get what you pay for a little nicer clientele, but you know, the people that work there, they took care of them, the, the strippers, you know, the bouncers and those types of people, but they all had an edge. They absolutely had an edge to them. And no, I never got the impression that they were scared. Nope. Hmm. nope. They were great. So Love it. it was an interesting case, but it was a very tiring and long case. And it still kind of bites me a little bit because those guys literally got away. With it. And I don't think I don't think that any of them stabbed him. Their, their staff Fatally. killed him. Right. I don't believe right. that. Yeah, but they were there, and I don't know that they wanted to be there. And but yeah, they all and that explains the whole hundred over hundred stab wounds. Like, hey, okay, here's the knife. 
you've got to stab them too. Oh, yeah. you got your turn. Right. You know? Right. So, but anyways, I, I think if um, that guy hadn't been arrested, I don't know that I would have ever gotten a break in the case. But, you know, karma's a bitch. And my main suspect got killed. And who knows what's going on with the other the other four. It'd be interesting to were, follow up on some of those, would, you know, what happened with be, their lives, I, right? Right. But my blood boiling, I, I mean, I can kind of feel it now. They, they just were irritating as fuck. They just were so irritating to me. But I couldn't get them. I mean, they just decided they were in on this and they were sticking with it. And they were good liars. They were good liars. Scary. So, so that's my stripper story. Yeah. Yeah, it was an interesting one. Especially when I didn't know who my victim was. And, you know, man, one manager's like, I'm not helping you. The other one's like, I'll, I'll help you crack the case. So, <laughs> so anyways. Yeah. I love yeah. it. The right. way you describe it, I can just yeah. see him, oh, you know, with a super, sparkle super in his eyes. Like, yes. Yes, my this break has come. Fun. Here's my right. time to shine. So, exactly. Uh, Colleen is now back in the States with us. So, that's good to know. He got home safely and a good trip. And uh, we appreciate you guys listening and the ideas that you give me um, to kind of profile these cases. We love that. So the person that gave me the information on the Laura Jean Mitchell case, I wanted to give you a shout out, but um, my phone died and I lost your contact. So please message me again because I want to give you a shout out on uh, giving me that case. I appreciate it. And if you guys have any cases at all that you want me to look at, uh, just reach out to me. We will see you next time on Murder with Menina. If you have a cold case you'd like Chris to review, submit it through our website at murderwithmenina.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Murder with Menina and Twitter at Murder W. Menina. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Murder with Menina.